Genesis chapter 1, 22 verse 1 to 13. It says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. When you look at the language there, God has admits his words. He wants to make sure that there is no other way, there is no one else that Abraham would bring to the table but his one, take your son, your one and only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. You know, oftentimes we will hear preachers talk on this passage and we'll try and, we'll try and niceify it. We'll try and make it seem a little more palatable. But reality is the Lord is asking here for Abraham to sacrifice his son. There's no two ways around it. We can spin it and talk about Abraham's faith and talk about all kinds of things, but the reality is the Lord has asked for that which costs Abraham everything. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Now watch this. On the third day, everyone say third day. My God, it makes me want to go back to last week. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Watch his language here. We will worship and then we will come back. I love that. Sometimes we read the story because we've heard the story so much. We can sometimes read scripture with the end in mind and we skip to the little details of the way to get there. But I want you to catch that. God has asked Abraham to take his son to be sacrificed, but Abraham, in great faith, says to his servants, Oh, you best believe, we are going to go worship, but we are coming back. And, 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 I, and you sit there and think, well, what is it that Abraham knows here? And said, some, some, some scholars would argue that, that Abraham didn't want to let on what was happening, so he just told his servants that he was going to be coming back with the son. But the truth is, as you begin to understand a little more what's going on in this passage, you realize that Abraham wasn't talking from a place of trying to hide what he was doing. He was speaking from a place of faith. The Bible tells us this, and scholars tell us this, that Abraham knew that anything was possible, but only one thing was impossible, and that is for God to lie. He knew one thing was also possible, was that God could raise his son from the dead. Because this was the promise of God in his own flesh, right in front of him. And God knew that if God had promised him, then God can never go back to his word. It is not who he is. It is not his character. Abraham couldn't tell you what was going to transpire between that moment and the mountaintop. Abraham couldn't tell you what was going to transpire as he sent and sacrificed his son as a good offering. But he could tell you this, that one way or the other, we will go up there. And I'm telling you something because of the God I know, that we will come back. That's faith. That's faith. He didn't know how it was going to work, but he knew that we was going to go up and we was going to come back. And he keeps on saying this, it says that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. And Isaac himself carried the fire. And Isaac himself carried the wood and Abraham carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham answered, watch this now, God himself will provide. Man, man, I can't wait to give you this word today. God himself will provide. Are you okay on your feet? Uh-huh. You don't even get any steps and you're standing. You don't even get any benefits from this. Um, God himself will provide. And watch as he says this. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Now here's an interesting point. Oftentimes when we think of this passage, we think Abraham took Isaac to be a young boy. But in fact, if you do a little digging and you start to peel back the layers of this passage, you realize Isaac wasn't a young boy. Isaac wasn't a child. In fact, most Jewish scholars believe Abraham was within the age of 26 to 37. <coughs> this wasn't a young boy. And if I would look at the language and it says that they went on together, as you break down the strong concordance of the wording there, it actually means is that they went in agreement. That Isaac went willingly as he trusted his father and trusted the God who would provide the lamb himself. There's, that's just a note to put in there. That the son went willingly in accordance with the will of the father. And the Bible tells us this, that as they went on, when they reached the place called Homer, God built an altar there and arranged the water on it. He bound his son on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Because now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. At verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said of the mountain of the Lord, it will be, it will be provided. That is the word of God this morning. So Father... We pray that as we dive into your word and we peel back the layers of all that you have hidden for us to reveal in your scriptures, I pray, Lord, that this word would accomplish that which you hope for it to accomplish in the hearts of every person. I pray that this morning, Lord, that any distractions, anything that would try and uproot the word that you deposit in the hearts of people would be thwarted. And God, today you'd meet us here in power and you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you have to say to the saints. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated this morning. I want to talk to you briefly this morning on a message titled, Give Us This Day. Give Us This Day. You know, every time we have a new addition on to our family, a new child, you know, today we have little Rosie who's holding my darling Rose, Miss Bella Rose. If you haven't met my daughter yet, don't. Uh -huh. Stay away from her. Uh -huh. Don't belong to you, mine. Uh, but we've been blessed, immensely blessed, our Lord, to have three children now. Every time we've been blessed with a new child, or every time we perhaps uh, are exposed to either personally or through, vicariously through somebody we care about deeply who's lost a loved one, I often find myself taking stock. Anybody else do that? You take stock. You, you, you lose a family member, or, or there's a major life transition, like the addition of a new child, or you move. You take stock. 
But I take stock not of what my money's doing. I don't take stock of my latest acquisitions. I don't take stock of the status of my name or my uh, reputation or my uh, accomplishments or my uh, accolades. No, no, no. I take stock of time. Time. Because time, time, time. You start to think to yourself, well, how much, how much time do, do I you start to think to yourself, have I, have I stewarded my time well? You, as particularly in the context of having young kids, you start now weigh up everything. I look at everything in my life. I look at meetings I'm sitting in. I look at conversations I'm having. I look at my, my schedule. I look at everything. I'm wondering, where am I, where, where am I wasting my time? Where could I reallocate my time? Where could I repurpose my time to be more fruitful? Who, who is taking my time? Who is wasting my time? And I start to make real adjustments because I realize the brevity of life. I realized the importance of time for that. I've begun to realize over these years that of all the currencies we trade in all around the world, the one we take for granted the most is this time. Time. Everything, everything, everything revolves around time. Think on it. It takes time to build a marriage. It takes time to heal. It takes time to grow. It takes time to build wealth. It takes time to forge new friendships. It takes time to forgive. It takes time to mature. It takes time to build intimacy. Everything revolves around time. If you've just been at Thanksgiving, you'll realize that, again, it takes time to make a good meal. If, if, if your meal has cooked quicker than I can consume it, I don't want it. I don't want it. I already know it ain't right. I don't want it. It takes time. Everything worth talking about, everything worth having, everything worth building your life around takes time. In fact, I love how uh, Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything. Then, then, then he says there's a time, there's a time for everything. There's a, there's a season for everything. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter and a time to gather. You get the idea. Time, time, time. Time is everything. Time, time, time. What will you do with your time? And here's what I learned. How we see time and our relationship is so crucial because how we see time and engage with it has huge impact on how you live your life. Think on it. Based on how much of it you have will change your pace. I've seen the coolest and calmest of cats become in a hurried mess and a, and a frenzy because they realize they're running out of food. You can watch the most stoic, the most graceful ladies out here pulling up their stockings running because they're out of time. I've watched people who many of you in the room no putting anybody. Procrastinators, people who, who were in a hurry, who thought they were out of time, and then they realized, oh, I got more time than I thought I had. Then they walk in cool, calm, breezy, relaxed. Time will change your pace. Time will change your perspective. Time will change how you think. Time will change how you speak. You ever been around an older person who's realizing that time is almost up to them? They're ending their time on this earth and how quickly they move from being these simple people to being these great philosophers overnight because they realize I'm running out of time. I'm going to give you everything I have because I'm running out of time. And, and again, if anyone's a parent in the room, you quickly realize that their time moves quickly in the context of our children. And I'm running out of time to give them all that I need. I'm running out of time to build them up. I'm running out of time to some consequence in the Lord because they are moving quick. Everything, everything, everything revolves around. Now, I don't want to spend too much time with you, but I, I laid that foundation because I, as you look through scripture, you realize so gratefully that there's this phenomenal, phenomenal idea in scripture that tells us that 
That'll mess you up real quick. I'm going to say it again because it took me a while to think on it. Kairos, the way that God operates, it's a future era. Future. Coming upon, speaking of past, coming upon the now. It is the picture of eternity. That's what Kairos says. God operates outside of time. God is not bound to our timelines. God is not bound to how we operate. God is not bound to what we can and cannot do within the time frame because God operates outside of time as the eternal God. In fact, one of the signature trademarks of Kairos is revelation. Every time we are exposed to Kairos, God's appointed time, we are revealed to more of who God is. God uncovers himself, he illuminates himself as we engage with the Lord in Kairos. Um, in fact, I want to give you some biblical examples where you'll see Kairos at play. You think on Genesis chapter 18, when God says to Moses, I'm not Moses, Sarah and Abraham, he says, at the appointed time, you shall bear a son who was a promise. God gave a promise that wasn't given on linear time. God gave a promise that was an appointed time, which means that the son I'm going to give you is a son that I have ordained, which means he is purposed, which means he is called, which means he is intentional, which means he has been divinely provided for a specific plan and purpose. You and I were created not according to Kronos, you and I were created according to Kairos. That when God made you, that when God created you, that when God drew you up, before I formed you in the womb, he says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And he says this, I consecrated you and I ordained you, which means I had a plan and a purpose for you. God created us out of Kairos, but we're trying to engage with him in Kronos. And until we learn this, we will forever be confused and we will always be sitting confused and disillusioned and, dis and, and, and again, discouraged. Why? Because we will be comparing our Kronos to somebody else's Kairos. You'll be sitting there, Lord, I've been in this road for 10 years. I've been toiling and working for 15, 10, 20 years. And this come lady shows up and you bless him. And we cry out to God and we complain to God and we have this comparison game which discourages us because we fail to understand that God doesn't work in accordance with time. Kronos, he works according to divinely appointed moments. And if your, your chaos has not happened yet, it is not without void. It is on its way. Because God created you in the context of he has a plan and a purpose for your life. This is how our God works. And again, we will be wrestling with God over things He has spoken to us, wondering, Lord, why does it tarry? Why does it tarry? Where is it? Why has it not come? Because we are looking at our clocks and God's going, it's not yet time. Think on Jesus, oftentimes. Think on the wedding. The wedding, Jesus at the wedding, and His mother says, hey, there's need here for a miracle, because she knew who He was. And says, so there's need here for a miracle. He, and He says, mother, it is not my time. He wasn't speaking of this, he was speaking of Kairos because he had become one of the Father and understood that there is an appointed time for everything and God is faithful to bring to pass that which he has ordained. And every promise we find in scripture, every promise God has whispered to you in the dark of night, every promise God has spoken over your children, every promise God has spoken over your future, every promise God has spoken over your finances, every promise God has spoken about salvation, he is faithful to bring to completion because he will bring it at the appointed time. That's the he operates in Kairos, and we must, too, operate in this. Because without the revelation of Kairos, the God who operates outside of time, in eternity, we will forever only ever relate to God as the God who responds. Let me say that again. Unless we catch this revelation, we will only ever relate to God as the God who responds. But let me tell you something. When you catch Kairos, you will catch that God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Which means this, watch this, that God has already provided the answer before time we've asked the question. 
And when you think on Kairos as the appointed time, it speaks of God providing a solution. Because Kairos, appointed time, is for purpose. It means that God knew what time you were going to be born in. He knew what era you were going to be born in. He knew the family makeup you were going to be born in. He knew that you grew up in a single parent household. He knew that you grew up in poverty. He knew that the, that, that the circumstances of your upbringing. He knew the circumstances of your employment. He knew the circumstances of the culture we live in. He knew the circumstances of the government we live in. He knew the circumstances of the economy. And God still brought you into this world in this time. Which tells me that God has made you for this time. It brings into perspective what God says to Esther. It wasn't just for Esther, but it was for you and me. That when he says to Esther, you were born for such a time as this. He's not talking chronological. He's talking seasonal. God provided Esther. Esther was born long before the Jewish people realized there was a need for a deliverer who would come and stand before the prayer of the cause of the king. God birthed you knowing the season you'd be born in. You are sitting here wondering, God, do you know what I'm facing? God, do you see what's happening in society? Do you know what kind of family I grew up on? Have you seen the dysfunction of my history? Do you know my financial condition? Do you know the state of our culture? And God says, I know because I have birthed you. I perished you into the world for such a time as this I brought you, which means I have provided for you and in you and through you in Christ Jesus everything you need before time even asks you the question. Give us this day, Lord Jesus. And so I labor on this because now you're wondering, what is this all got to do with Genesis chapter 22? And we done read that now, how's it going to work? Where are we? They saw it coming a long way away. 
had already seen it and taken hold of it long before they They saw it. They saw it from a distance. In fact, here's another thing that, that is found in Genesis 22. It says this, that the son of promise, that's what Isaac was, the son of promise willingly went to be sacrificed in obedience to his father. Who does that sound like? My God. It continues to tell us that carrying the wood of his own sacrifice, he went up that old ancient hill. Scholars write the fact that as soon as God spoke to Isaac, that, uh, to Abraham, that Isaac was to be sacrificed, to Abraham, Isaac was as good as dead. But what does the Bible tell us in Genesis 22? That on the third day, the day that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac was as good as dead. But on the third day, the son was resurrected. Because God stayed the executioner's hand and the Lord himself provided the man. Wow. Lord, help me get to deliver this the right way. As I was reading this passage, through the lens not of Kronos, but through the lens of Kairos, of an eternal God, I realized that the story in this text is not just a story that demonstrates God's provision for Abraham or of Abraham's faith. No, it is God revealing to us his divine provision for all of us before we knew that we needed it. And it's accessible by our faith in his son, his one and only son whom he loves. Watch this. Jesus wore a crown of thorns, much like the ram that was caught in the thicket. And who God in his great love for us did not withhold from us. This story, as you peel back the layers and begin to see it the way God sees it, is a reminder to us. It is a, is, is a revelation to us that Jesus wasn't God's response to man's sin. No. This story is telling us that long before we knew we needed deliverance, long before we knew we needed a savior, long before sin entered the world, God had already provided for us. You don't believe me? Take a look at Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us this, that before the earth was, when the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face, God created the heavens and the earth. What does John 1, 1 say? John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who does the Bible tell us the Word is? Jesus. Jesus is the Word made flesh. So what is Scripture telling us this morning? That God made provision for Jesus. That God gave us a Savior before the earth existed, before the foundations of the earth were laid, before man had broken his first command, before sin entered the world, God in his foresight, God in his divine provision, God in his eternal perspective provided the answer for sin before sin ever presented itself. It is a reminder to us, this whole scripture is telling us that God does not spend his life responding to our crises. No, God is in fact, he knew what you were going to walk into long before you walked into it. And God, because he lives in Kairos, he provides the solution before we even time ask the question. God has provided this day because God saw this day in eternity. And I'm here to encourage somebody in the house this morning that when you feel like you are at your end and you have no clue how you're going to make ends meet, you have no clue how you're going to overcome this anxiety, 
looks like. I'm here to tell you this morning that God has provided for this moment. He has provided for this trial. That God has provided for this season. That God has provided for today's battles. Do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has its own problems. But as it does have its own problems, tomorrow has its own solutions. God has provided for this day. We serve a God who divinely provides for our situations before they ever arise. Do I have anybody in the building this morning who is grateful for a God who doesn't live in Kronos but lives in Kairos and is able to see what you need before you needed it? All throughout Scripture we see the names of God. All throughout Scripture we see the saints declaring who God is. In Genesis 22 he declares them as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. In Exodus we see, we see Moses declare God as the, the Lord who is my banner. In Gideon in Judges chapter 6 we see Gideon declare God as Shalom my peace. Let me tell you something. God does not assume the names he is described by the saints. No, he just happened to reveal himself in that moment at the appointed time. When they needed it, he revealed himself as going, I was already provided before the lamb was needed. I was already your banner before the victory was fought. I was already your peace before you were in turmoil. I was already your anchor. I was already your joy. I was already your provider. I was already your shepherd before you knew you were a lost and wandering sheep in the desert. God is spending his time writing the Bible and telling us and showing us things that we do not know we needed already. When we read scripture, we have to understand that systematically from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the Revelation, we've heard preachers say it over and over again, the whole Bible points to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. Well, now you get why. Because God, in the composition of the Bible, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, He is systematically trying to reveal to us that He has already provided in Christ Jesus what we needed before we ever knew that we needed it. And I want to encourage you this morning that God has provided for you this day. This day. To me, this day. When you're trying to figure out how you're going to raise your kids, He's provided for you this day. Mike and all that's going on right now with your family, I want you to know that God has provided for you this day. This is why the Lord encourages the scripture. Do not worry about what tomorrow will bring. Do not worry about what to wear. Do not worry about what you need. Do not worry. Do not worry because if I have provided for the sparrow, if I have provided for the birds of the air and the fish, and if I have provided for all, how much more will I do for you, my children? It is him telling you, I already know. And we are not spending time arguing with God going, well, Lord, I don't know if I can see what you're doing. And he goes, you, because you have to look into the lens of Kronos. I'm telling you through the eyes of Kairos that there is an appointed time. In fact, God, he's, let me tell you how good God is. He's always putting things in the Bible to reveal who he is and what he's doing. If you turn, don't even turn, I'll just tell you about it. Because it's not hard to remember. Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. On the eighth day, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. I need me a towel or something. The sweat's getting in my eyes. My Lord, I can't see you. But I don't need to see to preach the word. Hey. Something. Do I have my handkerchief? Give me a glory cloud. Oh my God. Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this on the, in the eighth hour, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Son. Son of Ego. Now, if you know anything about Zechariah, Zechariah was a minor prophet, one of the prophets, whose entire existence was 
the appointed time. Berakiah means God will bless, God will save, God will heal, God will provide. And Zechariah means God remembers. In the prophet Zechariah, God tells us from the outset that at the appointed time, God will bless and save and heal and redeem and provide for his people. Why? Because God remembers. He doesn't just remember his promise, but he remembers the past. As he, outside of time, he remembers the future, he remembers what God's gone before you, and he provides what you need. God, throughout all of scripture, is not responding, friends. He is revealing. We don't serve a God who responds. We serve a God who reveals. And again, Solomon's devotion, Solomon's relationship and communion with God. 
faith of Abraham. The repentance and humility and contrition of the heart of David. And the devotion of Solomon. Shall of all things see the outworking of God on the earth today. This is how we engage with Kairos. Faith. Faith to wait when everything in your tells you to run. Faith to remain steadfast when everything else says the contrary. Faith to say that we will go up and worship and we will come back down together. Faith to confess that which your eyes don't see. Faith to declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. Faith to declare life when you're faced with death. Faith to declare a fruitfulness when you're faced with a barren womb. Faith to declare healing when everything else says the contrary. Faith, faith, faith is how we engage with Kairos. It's faith, it takes faith to not live according to this and live according to the appointed time. It takes repentance and humility of heart to say, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I understand how this is meant to work. It doesn't make sense to me that you blessed one day and I'm still here struggling. It doesn't make sense to me that you showed up for them but you haven't shown up yet for me. It doesn't make sense to me, Lord, that I would give up myself to you and hear these young kids running the market and you're out here providing and showing yourself to them faithfully. It takes a living heart to come without All were messages of encouragement 
God said to us, God said to you, God said to you, God said to you, God smiling and said to you, I'm with you. I have not forgotten you. And I love you. Even when circumstances are not going well, God makes himself known in a myriad of ways. And his intervention at just the right time serves as a reminder that God is always on time. The Lord will provide. Of this we can be certain. We see it in the flowers. We see it in the birds. We can see it in the cross. Jesus is heaven's great provision at just the right time. What does Romans 5 say? At just the right time, Christ came and died for us. Jesus is heaven's great provision at just the right time. And of all the gifts that he bestows upon us, of all the abundant provision out of his rich storehouses he gives to us, is not this the best? That when we get to the place where our strength and our hearts may fail, we shall find some lamb caught in the thicket by its horns. And we are reminded yet again that heaven itself has supplied what we needed this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you encouraged by the word this morning? We serve a God who has provided for us this day. I want to rush anything this morning. We still have a few moments left of the service. But before I do anything else, I always want to make room and provision in every one of our services to give people the opportunity to respond to the word. Let the word go to work is what we often say. And I want to start here this morning. That if you have not yet encountered the Lord, if you've not yet met Jesus, if you've not yet given him your heart and welcomed him into your life as a Lord, if you've not yet repented, this is the word the Bible talks about, repent. Repentance, I just talked about it. It's one of the ways we engage in Kairos. Repentance and humility of heart. Repentance is a change of mind. I, I, I'm turning around. I'm turning from doing life my own way. I'm, I'm turning from being self-sufficient. I'm turning from doing life without Him to realizing I need a change of mind that I know I need God because no one else can take the needs of the human soul that the Lord can. No one else can fight for you before you need it.
So if that's you this morning, I'm, you got a head lungs up. I've never actually made a decision. And I want to surrender my heart to Jesus because I recognize in myself that I need him. I need the God who provides for my today. I'm going to count of three. On the count of three, just lift your hands. High enough, long enough, and let's see it so I know who I'm praying for. And then we'll pray. I'll pray together. Collectively as a church family. Uh, but right now, one, that's you. This is your moment. Two, don't let this moment pass you by. Three, would you lift your hands if you want to give your life to Jesus? Right here, right now. Yeah, I see you. God bless you. Yeah, I see you. God bless you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We want the name of this moment. All right, let's pray. Let's pray together as a church family. Repeat after me. Not just those who raise their hands, but those of us who call this place home. Let's pray this together with them. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray, I make this decision today to surrender every part of my life to you. Today is a new beginning. Because of you, Jesus, the power of sin is broken. I am a child of God, a new creation, a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for your forgiveness and mercy. You are alive in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That is the greatest decision we can ever make. And here's the good news. It's not the end. This is not the destination. This is just the beginning of a great and glorious relationship with God who loves and wants to work with you. And so um, I think there's a QR code that will come up on the screen. I, I, I could be mistaken. There it is. I have a site. Take a picture of that or just come talk to one of our team. We'd love to get a gift to you and begin to give you the tools that you need to be able to begin and walk out this relationship with the God who has provided for you salvation this day. Jesus name.